Hello everybody, my name is Owen and this is One's Gotta Talk for Friday, 2nd of June 2023. In this week's episode, we've got plenty of things to talk about. Matrola has dropped some new foldables, finally, the Razer 40 and 40 Ultra, or the Razer 2023 and Razer Plus 2023 if you live in America. Uh, pretty cool phones we're going to touch on straight after this. Uh, on top of that, uh, we're going to talk also about uh, Meta, and they just dropped a new mixed reality headset, the Meta Quest 3. It's something to definitely check out. And it's especially surprising given that Apple is going to be launching, potentially launching their headset uh, next week at WWDC. And uh, yeah, we and we got more details about Samsung's foldables. And towards the end, we're going to talk about NVIDIA and what they've brought over to Computex this year, including some AI solutions and some pretty interesting things we're going to talk about towards the end. But yeah, without further ado, let's get rolling, shall we? So first, let's talk about Motorola and the Razer. And they've brought some new Razers to the table, the Razer 40 and the Razer 40 Ultra. It's a pretty interesting device, uh, pretty much a uh, complete new revamped design from the bottom up, uh, let's just say that. Uh, both phones kind of have do no longer no longer have the bottom sort of lip on the inner display. They used to be on previous uh, razors. It's completely revamped design, more in line with popular folding flip phones, including the Samsungs and the Oppos and many alike. So it's pretty interesting in a way. Uh, you got um, the regular Razer 40, and then you got the Ultra. Let's talk about the regular Razer 40 and get that out of the way. Uh, so the Razer 40 is basically bo the box standard, uh, regular sort of uh, Razer what we've been getting in the past couple of years. This is a more entry-level uh, folding flip phone, kind of entry-level for the masses. And price-wise, it's priced in that uh, in that way. But according to Matrola themselves, this phone's kind of designed for those who want to stand out and for minimalists who don't want to use their phone way too much. And I think that's fair when you look at the phone itself. The hour display, you get a small sort of uh, display so you can see the time, you can you know, run the timer, get a viewfinder for the uh, rear cameras on the back, uh, on the outside. Uh, and as for, as I said, uh, just the uh, feature sets or the specs wise, you get a 1.5 inch uh, hour display. Uh, as I've said, on top of that, you got a, you've got a 6.9 inch uh, 144 hertz display AMOLED uh, on the inside, on your display. As for the processor, and this is gonna be the bigger difference from the Ultra, the bigger sibling, is you get a Snapdragon 7 Gen 1 chip, a mid-ranger for a folding flip phone, but again, it'll be pretty decent for some people who want, again, a folding phone, uh, but don't want the high-end specs to start with. Um, on top of that, uh, apparently, as I said, you have the teardrop hinge, and again, it's the same form factor and size as the Razer 40 Ultra, or the Razer Plus, that is. Uh, on top of all of that, you have vegan leather on the on the outside, so it makes it easy to grip, and Gorilla Glass in a way. On top of that, uh, it comes in three wonderful colors, sage green, vanilla cream, and a summer lilac color, which is a purple shade. Kind of classy, and again, going in line with the target audience for this phone, which is basically casual consumers who want a flip phone. That is... And interestingly enough, as for the cameras on the back, and this is going to be the big difference here, you get a 64 megapixel main camera with OIS, 13 megapixel ultrawide sensor, and macro vision lens. It's also on the ultrawide, so you get du dual sensors on the back, and a 32 megapixel selfie camera on the inside. So it's pretty interesting. Again, stylish and classy for regular consumers who are not into the performance or just the fact that you're getting a folding flip phone. They just want a flip phone, and again, it also is a decently good phone for a lot of people. 
Uh, on the flip side, you have the Razer 4T Ultra, or the Razer Plus in the United States, if you live in the US, and that is basically the beast. So you kind of got this iconic sort of glass frame and matte finish or vegan leather on the back. And again, comes in uh, three stunning colors, Viva Mangetta, which only is on Motorola's devices, which is interesting, Infinite Black and Glacier Blue. And um, again, quite a stunning, the magenta color is sharp and vivid and iconic in of itself. Um, again, the, the product pictures, the phone again has this kind of smooth finish from top to bottom. The, the upper part of the outer uh, the surface has a large outer display. Um, that is, you get a, uh, and speaking of displays, you get 3.6 inch outer display, a high resolution, 165 hertz AMOLED display. Uh, with 1100 nits of peak brightness uh, one of the brightest apparently of the competition uh, compared to folding flip phones in the same sort of segment so that's pretty cool in a way and interesting enough the razer 40 ultra will apparently is apparently one of the thinnest folding flip phones on the market when closed and you can kind of tell if you see all the review videos for this phone it's quite uh, compact compared to the competition it's not that thick or chunky when uh, un when folded up uh, into two um, and speaking of which, it features the industry's first dual-axis tracking, which apparently minimizes the size of the, you know, the hinge system mechanism, um, making it quite compact as it is. This phone, as I said, comes with a POLED display that, um, again, is featured ultra-thin glass, 6.9 inches like the regular Razer, uh, but as I said, with a 165Hz display, possibly an overclocked 144Hz display, uh, again, when I read an in initial review that some of the apps kind of run at 120 hertz on the inner display and the outer display, so that's pretty interesting and something to keep note of. Uh, but it's pretty, it's again a pretty solid uh, flagship foldable. Um, you get a Snapdragon 8 Plus uh, Gen 1 chip on the Ultra, uh, that is. The Ultra comes with 30 watts of fast charging uh, included, which is pretty cool. Speaking of which, the cameras, you get dual sensors on the back, as we've kind of talked about before. A 12 megapixel main camera with a dual pixel uh, PD autofocus, uh, again, for accurate pictures. And you get a ultra-wide sensor to the right, a 13 megapixel ultra-wide plus macro vision lens, uh, giving you uh, wide-angle shots that fit three times more into the frame than st a standard lens, according to Motorola. Uh, and again, on the inside, you have a 32 megapixel selfie camera. So that's pretty cool in a way. Though what I've noticed is the Razer 40, the regular Razer 40, is more camera driven with the larger sensors to start with. But hey, uh, you're probably going to be buying the Ultra for the performance and just the fact that it's got much better displays and all of that good stuff. So it's pretty interesting what you're getting on both phones, the Ultra and the regular, uh, pretty much. But it's the software features that matter much more on foldables. And thankfully, Motorola has, uh, again, not disappointed anyone here with the new Razer. Uh, to start with, you have FlexView feature, which means that you can run, you can have the phone on different angles, allowing you to easily take photos, uh, run two apps at once, and again, uh, as I said, do AI face tracking and much, much more, um, pretty much. And also the fact that the Ultra has a large external display, you can use it as a viewfinder. You can run multiple apps on it and apparently apps like Disney Plus and Spotify have been uh, tweaked and optimized to run on the inner uh, outer display mind you and that's pretty cool in a way 
and um, you have access to th features like panels. These are Motorola's built-in features for the phones. It comes with stock Android. Both come with stock Android, so nothing to worry about. It's probably the closest thing to a Pixel folding phone, if you know what I'm talking about. A flip phone, mind you, um, if Google ever made one. But yeah, uh, these phones come with stock Android, but Motorola adds its own sort of features and customization. So you get panels, for example, which means you can, you know, have... Uh, you can sort of set a bunch of apps and widgets so you can access them on an hour display right away. That means you can have access to news, you can access games, weather, uh, notifications, and even Spotify straight away. And also there's an apps tray that you can access and that means you can open up any app on the hour display and run it. It's large enough so you, again, uh, you won't run out of room to run it. Another one is customization so you can set live wallpapers, you can add in clock styles, and stuff like that and make it yours so that's pretty cool in a way and also there's mini games on the other display that you can run and that means you could uh, for example play golf uh, and coat uh, find your way to the finish in marble mayhem so this is just a sample of the many things you can do on the other display on the moto 40 ultra the razor 40 ultra mind you so that's pretty interesting and also you get a dedicated spotify panel it's kind of a widget you can you know control whatever you're listening to and stuff like that and switch over to another playlist pretty cool if you ask me uh, pretty versatile phone and you can do quite a lot uh, but you can clearly tell that the 40 and the 40 ultra have two different target audiences in mind the ultra is kind of for the enthusiasts for those who really love their smartphone they love their android phones they want the performance and the capability and also they want all of the very best of what Motorola has to offer um, and again, the hour display, if you enjoy having an hour display, it should kind of help with your phone addiction. And uh, speaking of phone addictions, the regular Razer 40 uh, is kind of designed for minimalists, apparently. And those who just love to have a large camera on their Android phone, especially a folding flip phone, that is. So you're probably wondering about price and availability. The uh, regular Razer 40 Ultra or the Razer Plus in the United States will be available from June 23rd, uh, unlocked. Or if you want from carriers, it's available a whole week earlier on June 16th uh, and starts at around a thousand dollars or 999 MSRP in Canada you will be able to get it for 1299 Canadian dollars so that's pretty cool in Europe it's available for uh, for around 1200 euros roughly and the Razer 40 the regular uh, Razer will be available around uh, where I read online is it's about 800 euros for the phone and we'll be available hopefully in the coming months ahead so that's pretty interesting in a way. Uh, these are pretty interesting uh, foldables, if you ask me. Uh, the thing about Motorola is that they're not much of a they're not much of a large Android player. Uh, a lot of people know them. I kind of know that they make phones still uh, to this very day. But for a lot of consumers, they're still kind of an invisible brand for some. Uh, unlike the Samsung, which is hugely popular beyond relief. So that's pretty interesting uh, to an extent. Um, but yeah. You're probably wondering about both phones, which one really uh, makes sense, which, where's the differences, where the differences lie. Uh, it kind of, it, it boils down to a few things. The Ultra, uh, you get a glass front and back on the outer uh, display, on the outer surface. You get a higher resolution or high refresh rate inner and outer displays. You get the A plus Gen 1, you get, uh, you get more memory options, 512 gigabytes of storage, that is. From up from 256 gigabytes and you have a 3.1 memory speeds so that's pretty cool in a way and again uh, the ultra doesn't have 
high resolution cameras but you still get the ultra wide macro combo camera that exists on this phone that's pretty cool and the 4k 60fps video recording on both the inner and outer display cameras uh, that is and a smaller battery this is something to definitely keep in mind a 3800 mAh battery a bit of a bummer a bit of a deal breaker but something to take into consideration but on the Razer 40 on the other hand um, while you get a glass front and back on the outer, on the outer surface and only a aluminium frame that is you get uh, and just and really a small inner outer display and a uh, 144 hertz inner display you get the snapdragon 7 gen 1 which should do fine for a lot of people um, the most storage you'll get is 256 gigabytes over and 120 gigabytes so something to keep in mind but you do get the beefier camera the 64 megapixel main camera so if you like to take crispy photos you might want to look at the razer 40 as it is and um, yeah you get a slightly bigger battery that's another thing to talk about if you're quite uh, if you're quite wary about battery life on these phones you get a 4200 million power battery so that's pretty cool but on both phones you only get the same wired and wireless fast charging bit of a downside if you look at it compared to the competition you could get better on competing phones but hey it's a razor can't beat having a razor but again but also the design is another bonus here uh, they really have uh, knocked it out of the park uh, to be fair even after all the leaks it still looks like an interesting device that you might want to look at and you might want to check out if you're in the market for a folding flip phone all right let's talk about uh, facebook or specifically meta and their brand new mixed reality headset now before i get this out of the way, i'll get this out of the way pretty much uh the the terminologies can be a little confusing for for folks who are not into these headsets and vr and ar so there's vr which is virtual reality so it's this three-dimensional world you get uh that uh, where you could do all sorts of things and then there's ar which is 3d objects but projected onto the real world using a camera so you see sort of a virtual uh, objects in a re in the real world and mixed reality which usually tends to be and really is a combination of the two mixed reality is the groundbreaking aspect which means you can go between virtual worlds and the real world back and forth and there's adaptability and you're not sort of sucked in to a, to a virtual world so what we have here is the meta quest 3 uh, the latest and apparently the most powerful uh, mixed reality headset mixed reality in the sense that it basically allows you to access vr and ar content uh, in this kind of slim form factor headset it's kind of easy you know you put it right on switch it on and off you go um, so there's a couple of interesting aspects to this headset uh, firstly is the design which is the most striking part everyone has kind of been talking about this and that's the design compared to the uh, meta quest 2 the meta quest 3 comes with essentially a 40 percent slimmer optical optic profile and that means that it's 40 percent slimmer than the previous headset and that makes it quite uh you know it's quite sleek and seamless and not so uh it's not so bulky compared to the previous headset on top of that you now have pancake optics on, on the inside uh, and that means you get a more sharper uh, view sort of uh, of the display and apparently it's going to be coming with meta's highest resolution display for a headset which should be again uh, below the meta quest pro which is a vr i mean an AR headset mind you and that's obviously more higher resolution uh, interestingly enough uh, but as i said uh, it comes with uh, it it does come with the three uh, grid of sensors on the outside and that kind of includes uh, dual 4 megapixel 
RGB color sensors or cameras kind of and a depth sensor and it gives you more accurate sort of detailing and representation of your AR experiences. It should off it should help in offering improved AR capabilities with this compared to the previous uh, headset and apparently 10 times more pixels available in pass-through mode compared to the MetaQuest 2. So should make your AR more exciting in that sense of the word and also um, again you can get controllers for this uh, interesting enough but more than everything it's also the fact that uh, the Quest 3 is basically going to be backwards compatible with all the Meta Quest headsets and all the content and apps that have been available for it so it's going to make using it a little easy from the get-go uh, other than the fact it's a Meta headset but uh, interesting enough on top of the higher resolution display the pancake optics the improved slim profile the similar profile you're getting uh, apparently it's the first to feature in next generation Snapdra Snapdragon chipset, mind you. Uh, we don't know what, what the chipset is called, but apparently it will get, give you twice the graphical performance uh, compared to the previous Snapdragon GPU in the previous headset. Uh, but uh, other than that, we don't really know much about the MetaQuest 3 other than it's here, it's finally coming, it's going to come fairly soon this fall. and. Um, it's gonna, and we're gonna, and we should hear more about the MetaQuest 3 on September 27th when Meta does its Connect event, where they show off more details about their headsets and all the technology that they've kind of been working on. Interestingly, now the more interesting part is the price, kind of, with these uh, headsets. Uh, the MetaQuest 3 will start at 4.99 for the 128 gigabyte variant, so that's kind of exciting if you've been looking to get into having an all-in-one. Uh, a VR headset uh, and thankfully if you've one been look been in the market for a Meta Quest 2 good news you might be able to get it at a better MSRP because uh, Facebook's uh, sorry Meta is going to be it's still called Meta Facebook which is the bizarre part but anyways the Meta Quest 2 will be available after uh, starting June 4th from 300 from 299 for the 128 gigabyte variant and 349 for the uh, 256 gigabyte variant so that's pretty interesting in a way but as I said the interesting part about the Meta Quest 3 is it's a pretty interesting all-in-one uh, VR headset and a mixed reality headset when you include the AR capabilities but more than everything it's also the fact that this basically stands to compete with Apple's upcoming headset and it's priced quite competitively with whatever Apple's bringing to the table although there's a huge you know difference in terms of specs and performance Apple will probably be a little bit faster or more higher resolution than whatever Meta is bringing to the table. What do you think? Uh, are you, which headset are you going to be getting? Uh, the MetaQuest 3 or Apple's purported headset? Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts. Well we're already talking about uh, mixed reality headsets. Let's talk about another one. Oppose's MR Glass headset. Now this is sort of a new headset that uh, Oppo announced a few days back uh, for, the, for the domestic market in China interestingly enough and um, it's uh, it doesn't look like a production ready headset I might be wrong but um, it's a bit of a concept that Oppo has brought to the table on top of the fact that they've also been showing off you know their VR glasses and other sort of concepts of what they think would be a future where we'd all be wearing mixed reality headsets so interesting enough it features the Snapdragon XR2 plus chip uh, which would be on all these sort of uh, headsets and apparently uh, although this is kind of a concept device it's basically designed for developers to sort of test and prototype their own AR and VR apps so much so that it'll be available as a Snapdragon Spaces dev kit in China later this year so it's not just for it's not for consumers pretty much so 
that's interesting. Um, on top of that, the since it's a mixed reality headset, it features binocular video pass-through with pancake lens, dual front RGB cameras, and 120Hz refresh rate, along with two joystick controllers and proprietary SuperWoke fast charging, and apparently a heart rate monitor. I haven't seen that on, on an AR headset. So yeah, it's pretty interesting as a bit of a reference device for developers. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Oppo does bring uh, to the table down the road in the next year or two. Seems like they're ready to get into the whole hype train of AR and VR headsets. But yeah, while we're already talking about these uh, things, we got to mention Apple and Next week's WWDC event is going to be significant as it's going to be sort of the first time in many years that Apple is obviously showcasing a new product category, a potentially new game-changing device that could absolutely change the paradigm of how we interact and use our devices or again can change the world of AR and VR uh, that is or just again change how we use our devices because Apple's apparently uh, purported to be launching a mixed reality headset. It's been known for a very long time. We've been hearing so many things, but Mark Gurman has sort of well summed up everything that we might get at WWDC. So let's kind of go through everything he's purported to have said, uh, or again, based on his analysis. So Apple's uh, mixed reality headset, again, mixed reality is where you get AR and VR, and you can switch between both modes. Uh, apparently, uh, this headset will apparently be called the Apple Reality Pro or the Apple XR Pro. And again, we'll be coming with the XR OS, which kind of is Apple's own uh, operating system for extended reality or mixed uh, or mixed reality. That is interestingly a lot of points he's mentioned. Firstly, that it's going to be an ultra premium device, apparently made of glass, carbon fiber and aluminium. And it's supposed to look like a pair of ski goggles, according to him. And again, should feature uh, a magnetic charger for power, kind of like a MagSafe plug that you have for your Apple Watch or your for iPhone. You just slap it right in and it charges it up. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And apparently it's supposed to come with a curved front sort of screen on the outer surface. So it shows the expression, facial expressions. It's gonna be a little creepy, not gonna lie, uh, having that, but uh, let's see how they, implemented i do hope they don't bring the, the the whole creepy sort of external display uh that'll be very funny uh, that is but the overall headset will apparently come with multiple ex external cameras giving you video pass through and other features to give you the ar capabilities that is and apple's obviously been working on ar technology for a very long time and so this is going to be coming full circle to what apple's been working on and apparently uh, it'll feature 4k screens on the inside um, again, bright 4K screens and uh, AR of, of course will be through video pass-through that will be available on this headset pretty much and it has a digital crown on the side like the Apple Watch to let you switch between AR and VR which is quite versatile in a way. Interestingly enough, uh, the Apple Reality Pro purportedly will be coming with the M2 chip with 16GB of RAM uh, and you will be using an external battery pack that apparently is, according to him, according to German, a larger version of the of the iPhone's MagSafe battery pack. If you've used that, uh, imagine that, but a whole lot bigger, and there's a wire going to the headset, pretty much, in a way. And I'll connect over a wire to the headset. It's it's kind of obvious. Uh, and also there'll be a power circular power adapter. And I'm kind of assuming it looks a whole lot, an awful lot like MagSafe, but make it a whole lot smaller potentially, and hence it'll be magnetic. 
and uh, apparently the battery life on this will be two hours per charge let's see what they have to say about that you'll be needing some source of power to run this headset so that shouldn't be a problem for some probably a problem for most people but not for everyone in a way uh, interestingly you can control the headset using iron hand gestures uh, so you sort of pinch uh, because it uses the cameras on the headset and you'll have a microphone array like typical apple device so you can access siri and stuff like that and again you can use the airpods to get special audio that would be supported that's pretty interesting in a way and apparently according to mark german himself this headset is expected to cost around three thousand dollars but apparently it's going to be one of those apple products where it's not going to offer a huge margin for apple but they don't they want to get some of that market share so it's pretty much apple taking a huge risk for potentially a huge new market that they might have access to so that's pretty interesting in a way and while um we're gonna hear and see the headset in in action uh later, hopefully this monday according to him apparently won't be going on sale straight away it'll apparently uh the apple internally has discussed launching the headset potentially after the iphone 15 or early next year uh, apparently so that's pretty interesting in a way and uh Again, and then it goes on to describe things like, for example, how for this event primarily, uh, they're going to be also be offering a demo, hands-on demo, but will be in a controlled area outside, uh, right at Apple Park. And so, you know, Apple themselves can sort of show a controlled uh, demo of the headset and showing that you can do, you know, immersive FaceTime, watch Apple TV Plus, you know, play games and do all sorts of things. And also the fact that there's a snap and prescription lens system. So that means it'll be very easy to use it if you have prescription lens or glasses. And also, interestingly, another tidbit that he's also kind of shared is that uh, Apple will also be warning some customers that they shouldn't be using this headset if they have Meniere's disease, past traumatic brain injuries, post-concussion syndrome, migraines, or vertigo. Migraines, it's kind of significant. That re-excludes quite a lot of people out of the picture. And interestingly, on top of all that, it's a very long list, but I'm going to try to go as quick through it as quickly as I can. But um, uh, some testers have played around with this product. Apparently, for them, uh, it's uh, the product has been found to overheat, so that's kind of an issue. Hopefully, the production model will not have that issue. Pretty much, it's, obviously, this has popped up during uh, what's something called design validation testing. Uh, but yeah. And also, again, it'll feature all the Apple integration that's out there, all apps you find on iPad and, and the iPhone, and handover that you'll definitely have when you use the Apple ecosystem. And apparently, another one is that uh, you'll be able to run hundreds of thousands of existing third-party iPad apps from the App Store with no extra work or minimal modifications, according to Mark Gurman himself. So that's pretty interesting. And of course, Apple will provide all the sort of tools and uh, SDKs and stuff to, again, allow people to work on supporting the headset from day one and then it goes on to mention the fact they'll have advanced video conferencing you know improved facetime and the freeform app that was kind of on the ipad um, when it kind of was announced i knew very well that they were gonna bring it over for their purported mixed reality headset so that's pretty interesting in a way so that's basically the apple reality pro rumors to one side that again government's touched on another one was the new macs apparently and the uh, upcoming version of mac os so 
uh, again, Apple is apparently going to be spending tons of time showing off some new Macs, including purportedly a 15-inch MacBook Air, an updated Mac Studio with an M2 Max and M2 Ultra chips uh, that replaces the M1 series, uh, all the premium M1 chips, the Max and the Ultras. So that's pretty cool in a way. And speaking of which, the M2 Ultra will be featuring 24 CPU cores, uh, six, up to 67, uh, up to sorry, up to 76 graphics cores. And again, you can get up to 192 gigabytes of RAM on this bad boy. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And potentially, we could be seeing this on the next Mac Pro if Apple's going to release that one eventually. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And also, apparently, Apple is now working on M3 variants of the MacBooks, including the MacBook Air Pro and the iMac. So hopefully, we do get to see an M3 iMac later this year because the iMac's not been updated in a long while and the iMac's are starting to cost a little bit more in some places so that's interesting in a way and all that we know about the next version of mac os is it's going to be coming with some features that will also be coming on a new version of ios and ipad os and speaking of which ios 17 and ipad os 17 will be coming with a whole bunch of new features including uh, for ios 17 on the iphone a smart display like mode uh, and that means you can get information like snippets of information calendar appointments again when it's locked and charging that's pretty interesting. A journaling app. We've kind of heard about this before and you can kind of keep a log about what's going on. It kind of ties into your health and stuff uh, and wellness. So that's pretty interesting. An improved wallet app giving you more information about third party credit cards, you know, and um, and stuff like that and how much balance you have. So that's pretty interesting. Improved share play and airplay capabilities. Um, a improved health app so you can get you can sort of take notes of your mood and vision problems and finally the health app will apparently be coming to iowa to ipads uh for the first time and on top of that uh already apple obviously has talked about the accessibility features we've talked about it on a recent episode of this show so you can go back and listen to it if you have the time uh pretty much so that's pretty cool and as for watchOS 10 uh nothing additionally new other than the fact that obviously Apple will be pushing widgets as a sort of new way to interact and you can you know add information and context to your watch faces and to your watch just generally and uh, again we'll be improving navigation and design to sort of fit uh, the whole concept of widgets pretty interesting if you ask me and uh, yeah can't wait for this coming Monday and WWDC it'll be very exciting to see what Apple has in store especially the mixed reality headset. I can't wait for that genuinely. The new software, it'll be fun. I mean, the journaling app sounds promising, but the mixed reality headset, hopefully it turns out to be as great as it's sounding uh, based on all the rumors and information. So yeah, can't wait for a WWDC, that is. All right, let's touch upon other things. Uh, firstly is OnePlus. We've kind of talked about the fact that they launched a limited edition OnePlus 11 in China that had this texture of a rock from another extraterrestrial planet, the Jupiter rock version, and now they're finally bringing that overseas. So if you live in India, you will be able to get the OnePlus 11 Marble Odyssey Edition, and it's a pretty interesting uh, special edition of the OnePlus 11. It has that uh, texture at the back of the phone of 3D microcrystalline rock. Uh, so it was that variant in China, but now they're bringing it over to the Indian market. So if you live over there and you're looking to get a limited edition OnePlus, this might absolutely take the cake in that regard uh, and while we're already talking about phones and stuff like that moving on uh, after all that no information about pricing or availability but it's coming pretty fairly soon all right moving on let's talk about the pixel watch 2 and primarily some new details that we're getting from 95 google firstly 
is the fact that it'll be coming with a Snapdragon Dovely 5 chip. Now we don't know exactly which one, but apparently it'll probably be uh, it'll probably be coming with a co-processor from Qualcomm themselves. And again, it'll be uh, one of the faster ones coming with uh, four A53 cores, dual Adreno 702 GPUs. Obviously not as fast as the actual Snapdragon chips, but kind of close to it in a way, instead of the Exynos chip that Google used in the first Pixel Watch. So that's pretty interesting. And for context, uh, this means if you use a W5 chipset uh, from Qualcomm, you'll get 50% longer battery life. And uh, again, you get 30% smaller and thinner sort of designs for your smartwatch. And again, it's a four nanometer chip, so that's pretty interesting in a way. Kind of surprising when you look at it compared to the previous Pixel Watch where they used a Exynos chip. I think it was just like a reference. And the Exynos chips, it was kind of like that Google already was offering Wear OS by Google on Samsung watches, so they had a reference to which the software was gonna run smoothly, so they had to use a reliable chip. So they went for the Exynos. Now that they have a bit more, it's been a long while, it's, the time has passed, they have more data. And of course, Snapdragon has got something, uh, Qualcomm primarily has got something uh, much nicer up their sleeves, literally. So Google is now gonna be using a Snapdragon chip. So that's pretty interesting in a way. I know there's no Tensor chip, but not surprising given that it will be a lot of work for Google to sort of create a fab and sort of create a particular processor to, for their smartwatches. It'll be a lot of work for nothing when you're one of your sort of rivaling chip manufacturers offers something reliable and solid. You might as well go for the latter and you go for Snapdragon. So that kind of makes sense to most and kind of makes sense to me if, if you ask me. And speaking of which is another big deal that will be coming to the Pixel Watch is the battery life. Apparently, uh, Again, Google is looking to have offer over a day of usage with the always-on display enabled for the Pixel Watch 2. That's according to 9to5Google, so that's pretty interesting. This is on top of the fact that it's going to basically be the same battery size as the previous Pixel Watch. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And again, if you turn lots of settings off, you should be able to go two days without charging according to 9to5Google. But that'll probably be because of the improved and more efficient processor that you'll be getting. And lastly, is the fact that the Pixel Watch 2 might be coming with uh, the same sensors as the Fitbit Sense 2, and that potentially means a continuous electrodermal activity sensor, a skin temperature sensor, and much, much more like on the Fitbit Sense 2. That's pretty interesting, and let's hopefully see what Google brings to the table later this fall. It'll hopefully be some exciting devices. And finally, uh, NVIDIA has shown off a whole bunch of new things at their keynote at Computex, which is the big sort of PC event that's happening down in Taiwan. And obviously a lot has been so shown off at Computex, new PC cases, new sort of GPUs, laptops based on latest Nvidia graphics and much, much more. But this keynote is really for the nerdy and quite technical folks. But it's quite exciting what we're getting uh, out there. And so much so that um, Nvidia's market cap briefly crossed 1 trillion US dollars. That's how valuable their products really are, their services are really the AI technology to bring to the table and all that processing power they're bringing uh, to companies all over the world and, and how that's accelerating the world of AI and generally generative AI that is. And speaking of which, they showed off a new sort of uh, processor, a supercomputer, mind you, the DGX GH200 supercomputer. And apparently using NVLink, you can combine 256 of these to get into a single data center size GPU. And that's pretty impressive because basically uh, one GH200 processor 
or supercomputer, mind you. I kept saying processor, but it's a supercomputer, the GH200. It packs an exaflop of performance, 144 terabytes of shared memory, so over 500 times more than a single DGX A100 uh, system uh, from before, and that allows you to build large language models, uh, you know, offer more complex algorithms and create uh, graph neural networks and stuff like that. So pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, uh, you have 256 Grace Hopper super chips. Goes all the way up to 144 terabytes of GPU memory, and again has that kind of memory speed of up to 230 uh, terabytes per second, which is crazy using NVLink. Uh, so a lot of processing power right away, and over one around one eflops or exaflop of performance, a whole another new unit of performance, but it's kind of necessary for AI tasks, so that kind of makes sense. And apparently, you, there'll be over 400 system configurations coming to the market using all these architectures from NVIDIA. So that's pretty interesting, and again, should help with AI processing overwhelmingly. And speaking of uh, improving access to AI uh, for companies, for corporate users, they also announced a new architecture which is called MGX pretty much and it's a modular reference architecture for creating accelerated servers and what system makers able to do is again quickly and cost-effectively build over a hundred different server configurations to again suit a wide range of applications from AI all the way up to uh, again creating digital twins and stuff like that so it's pretty cool in a way and companies like QCT and Supermicro popular uh, server manufacturers are sort of creating reference designs and systems and uh, it'll be appearing, uh, it'll be available in the market in August. So again, if you're looking to get a accelerated server for AI tasks, you might want to be looking at this. Even though I kind of know that most of the target audience of this podcast are, don't really work at big companies or again in IT departments where they'll be needing this. But again, something cool to look at uh, pretty much. But also, again, uh, NVIDIA sort of goes on uh, primarily to talk about uh, sort of other use cases of their technology kind of including the Grasshopper superchip being used to enhance 5G and 6G video communication and wireless calling. Uh, so that's pretty cool in a way and again reducing pay latency and pr improving processing speeds and again helping apparently that leads to also an announcement where they're teaming up with SoftBank uh, to explore 5G applications in things like AI factories, AR, VR and much much more pretty technical stuff but they also went on to show off some pretty cool things including Nvidia Avatar Cloud Engine for games which again allows developers to create custom AI models for speech conversation and animation and that means that basically NPCs will basically act like actual game characters that were sort of developed and coded except AI is kind of doing all that work and again uses a whole bunch of AI models including Nvidia's Riva Nemo and Omniverse audio to face to essentially create a generated uh, non-playable non character that actually does sound and look and feel and talk like an actual main character so that's pretty interesting in a way and on top of that uh, then uh, Nvidia sort of also went on to announce that their team at Microsoft to again accelerate uh, generative AI on Windows and that means again taking advantage of optimizations and and drivers and stuff like that and tools so that's pretty cool in a way and also then announced that they're teaming up with WPP one of the leading 
marketing agencies in the world to create a kind of first of its kind generative AI enabled content engine that sits on their cloud and hardware. And that basically means that creative teams are able to spin up uh, and use AI to generate adverts for unique campaigns for their clients. So that's pretty cool in a way. And again, is this another game changing use case of AI technology and digitization? And speaking of which, they also went, to, they went on to sort of show off another uh, cool use of their AI uh, algorithms and their, their software tools. Uh, so they showed off uh, NVIDIA Metropolis and more specifically Metropolis for factories is basically a AI sort of uh, system allowing again manufacturers to see uh, to get visualizations of whatever they're manufacturing the overall uh, workflow and their processes and and run it in a virtual world and see where they can improve and you know become more efficient and uh, apparently it can save them building them digitally first can save billions according to nvidia's co-founder and current ceo so that's pretty interesting in a way and for an example, Pegatron, which is a leading assembler of, hard, of hardware technology, is creating virtual factories at Omniverse, Isaac Sim, and Metropolis, another sort of NVIDIA technology. Uh, and again, to create simulation to, again, s uh, run processes in a simulated environment to see where there are inefficiencies or issues and go out and sort of recertify them and fix them. So that's pretty cool in a way. And apparently, it's led to a 10 times improvement in throughput. Uh, when it comes to intelligent video applications, they've used one of NVIDIA's as many uh, SDKs and softwares uh, to again get that improvement uh, in a way and automate processes. So that's pretty cool in a way, but primarily it's all been about AI and sort of the real world uses of this technology and the fact that they're really working on uh, on bringing this technology over or its processing and improving its processing and capability in more sets of real world cases that isn't just gaming and running metaverses. So that's pretty cool. And again, uh, you gotta give credit where credit's due to NVIDIA. I mean, they're, they're up to some seriously uh, dope stuff. And um, again, hopefully we'd, we'd see uh, more people kind of use their technology. It seriously is cool, of course. I mean, if you're a gamer, you know how good RTX graphics is, but now it's kind of time for businesses to see the real power of their technology. So that's pretty cool in a way. And that leads us to the end of this week's episode, a very long one. It's taken me nearly a whole day to record. So if you could share this podcast to your friends and family or leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, that definitely help and make my day. And that's kind of important because again, it takes me a very long time to record this podcast. It's not easy, honestly. Uh, but yeah, if you're already listening, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening right now. Uh, like it if you're if it's on YouTube, that is. And yeah, till next week, this is your boy Marvin signing out where we are, what are we up to. Uh, have a wonderful weekend and week ahead. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Ciao.